0: Turn your Bibles to Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is found on page 70 in the Bible, provided for you in the pew. Ministering alongside Ken McCurd and John Fender at the Presbytery level, sister churches and the denominational level, and then hosting Ken, has been a joy. But ministering shoulder to shoulder with these men as pastors, is an honor and a privilege. My prayer for these men, my prayer for us, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes, It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Let's pray together. We pray, Father, that the dew from Zion would come and fill this place, renewing us, uniting us and strengthening us to be rooted in your unity. And we know even at this moment, Father, that you have provided all that we stand in need of in the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are called to abide in. Thank you that our union with Christ means that all that we've sung, all that we will say, can be accomplished because we belong to Christ and therefore we belong to one another. Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's been nearly 16 years since Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. NASA estimates was more than five million acres damaged and some 320 million trees severely damaged or uprooted, they noticed that different types of trees fared better than others in terms of dealing with the storms. Take for instance the 700 live oaks that were surrounding the New Orleans area. Only four of those were toppled as arborists and scientists studied these live oaks they notice something about their above-the-ground demeanor. If you've seen a live oak, those arms are, um, they turn, they are pliable of sorts, they're not just straight up and down, their leaves are spread out, and the -the above-the-ground condition of a live oak tends to be somewhat adaptable. But below the ground... Live oaks are known to grow their roots not only deep, but to grow their roots together. Live oaks are intertwined with their root system. And so while they may be more adaptable than some uh, trees on the surface, they're more anchored than others because they're rooted together. What a beautiful picture of Christian community. That we are called to be anchored together, rooted and grounded as we sang earlier in love. But we're to be adaptable. We're to be more pliable and able to handle the winds of change. You notice in this text, it opens with the word blessed or blessing to the believer in Christ. That's a signal for us, isn't it? When you see the word blessed or blessing, it's the reminder of the blessing that God made to Abraham. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in you. Maybe you think of Psalm 1. How blessed is a man who stands not in the council of the wicked, sits in the seat of scoffers, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water. maybe Jeremiah 17, the blessed man is the one who trusts in the Lord. He will not fear when the heat comes. He has no worry in a year of drought. You see, we're blessed because we're anchored below the surface, but this text also tells us that we're called in God-centered unity to build an adaptable, supportive, and flexible kind of community here. Let me speak first to you, John, and to you, Ken. Each Sunday in the morning services, we have a time where we pass the peace, and that is not simply a time to greet visitors. It's the time before the sermon is preached. It's a time where we say together, the Word of God is going to fall on all of us, But we're not alone as we hear this word because it's going to unsettle us in our idols. And we're going to ask God and pray for one another that it resettles us in his grace. You're called here, brothers, to pass the peace in this community. But you've also been sent to this church for something even more than that. Not simply to pass the peace, but to keep the peace. To stand with brothers and sisters and to promote and protect the peace and purity of God's church. Well, how do we do this? How do we dwell together in unity as the text instructs us? Well, two clear and simple points. We do this first by celebrating God-centered unity. This is the anchoring and rootedness that the psalmist has in mind. But secondly, we need to live out this God-centered unity with the characteristics that are given, the characteristics that are more adaptable, the grace and the reconciling power of the gospel. Just a few things about the context. David wrote this psalm. It's unclear when David wrote this psalm. It could have been when he came into Jerusalem as the king, and he he united not only the people of God, but he had pushed back the battles and they experienced a time of peace from their enemies. It could have been that time when David looked around and said, behold how lovely it is to dwell together in unity. But others have speculated it could have been at the end of David's life. You recall that after the sin of um, immorality with Bathsheba, Nathan comes to David and he says, I want you to know that God forgives you, but the sword will not depart your house. And David's last days saw very little of this good and pleasant dwelling together. You saw Absalom, Amnon. He saw separation of Adon to Adam J, as well as to Solomon. It's hard to know exactly what he has in mind, but the last verse tells us he's not thinking about his kingdom. He's thinking about the eternal kingdom, because he says there is going to be a kingdom that's coming, that's breaking in. It's a kingdom greater than anything that we have seen, or anything that we have experienced, and this kingdom is good, he says. I'm sure the readers had to think about that was the word used to describe creation in Genesis 1. When God looked around at all of his creation and he declared that it was good, but he also says that it's pleasant. Good means that it's right and it's the way it should be, but pleasant means that the effect is pleasing and joyful. Imagine biting into a delicious piece of fruit, and that fruit, maybe a peach or a pear or an apple, is good, it's healthy, but it's also pleasant, it's enjoyable. You know, our Westminster Confession, that question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God, it's good, and yet also to enjoy Him forever, it's pleasant. I wonder if David has in mind this unity is the restoration of union with God Himself. We see this because he says these brothers are dwelling together in unity. Not only is it delightful, but it is a dwelling together. We're not consumers, we're not taste testers, we're not try it, let it go option out kind of commitment. It's covenantal. It's a statement that Live Oaks would make if they could speak. We stand together. Our roots are locked deep. We fight for one another. We will never, ever depart from our covenant to one another. We dwell together. It has ideas of the Incarnation. You know in John 1 when We're told that the Word became flesh. It says that the Word dwelt among us, tabernacled, made his home to dwell with us. Obviously, that dwelling together has some some reference to the incarnational coming of the one who's come down to reunite us with God. How do we know that? We know that because he references Aaron, the priest and Aaron's priestly line in Zion were deeply rooted in obeying the instructions that God had given to remind these people as they pilgrim together. This Psalm 133 is one of the pilgrim psalms, the psalms of ascent. When the people of God would go together for those three festivals up to Jerusalem, they would sing this song. And as they pilgrim together, They talked about Aaron, the priestly line. And it was first the tabernacle and then the temple where they worshipped. And Aaron was to sacrifice, to remind the people that God would make a way that we could dwell together with him in unity. It's a picture of deep, deep worship. We could say that that pilgrimage was to remind the people of God that what God has said and what God does is of a restorative nature. It is to unify your hearts with God Himself, to restore peace with God. David's obviously describing God-centered community, and he says here that when we come together on pilgrimage, we're to remind one another our sins are forgiven, We fail God, but God will not fail us. We belong to God, He loves us. And we are a mess, but we're His mess because we dwell together in unity with Him. Now Reader's Digest had an article years ago called, What Good is a Tree? And in the article they talk about that many trees, when the roots touch other roots from other trees, give off a fungus that at first begins to appear that it's attacking the roots of the other tree. But actually that fungus is uniting those roots and it's communicating that you are no longer a competitor, but that you now are a partner. And we're told that that fungus would begin to treat all those roots and all those trees as if they shared in the necessary nutrients that are needed. So if one root found water, it would pass water to all the roots. If one one root found the nutrients or sunlight, it would share that beyond its own roots. I think this is the picture that we have here, John and Ken. We are rooted together in Christ, and we are to dwell together in such a way that even with 320 million damaged trees around us, we can have hope and we can build a strong and safe place here. Remind us that God is our strong strong anchor, that God-centered unity is the standard that he's called us to. But then he pivots and describes the characteristics of this God-centered unity, and he uses two descriptions. He says God-centered unity, that dwelling together and rooted together is like oil, and God-centered unity dwelling together is like dew. He gives two characteristics that describe this kind of unity. First, he says it's like oil. It's like anointing oil. But look how he describes what's the oil is used for. It's precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, running down on the collar of Aaron's robe, running down on the robe. He's speaking of the priestly ministry here, and he's saying that God will provide all you need in extravagance and excess. This ministry is not, as Mike Phillips said earlier, something that you do in your own strength, John and Ken and pastors and the priesthood of believers. But it's an extravagant, excessive gift and anointing by God. You've been anointed as God's servant. But notice also, he's not just talking about extravagance. He's talking about, about grace. How many times does he say running down? Running down, running down, running down, running down. Grace runs down to all the places where we need, to all the hurts, to all the fears. It's unmistakable that when you're touched by God, it's because His grace has run down and found you, and placed you, and gifted you, and enabled you. It's unmistakable. So first, God-centered unity is like anointing oil. It's gracious, extravagant, fills what you need and is sufficient for all that he calls you to do. But it's also like dew. He says it's like dew that is falling from Mount Hermon onto the Mount of Zion. Think of the refreshing reconciling work that he's talking about here. Now, Mount Hermon is the largest mountain range in Israel. It's 9,000 feet. And uh, often, for many months, it's covered with snow. And as that snow melts, it fills the springs and the rivers around Jerusalem. And the imagery there is that the dew coming up, Mount Zion being the place of worship, the central place of God's people that would gather when they meet together, that God would have provided all that they need in that uh, provision because he's talking about a refreshing, reconciling work that this grace brings. First, it reconciles us to God, but then it reconciles us to one another. And you're called, Ken and John, and people of God, not simply that we celebrate the grace of God, but we extend that grace in reconciling relationships to one another. We were studying Ephesians 4 recently and Ephesians 2, 3, and 4 talk about just this marvel. God's grace offers each one of us forgiveness then Ephesians 4 says that we're to live in God centered unity. And then we're told by Paul that we're to be kind, tender hearted to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. He's saying that this grace runs down the same way that the water runs down and then the dew comes up and brings about. A reconciling, refreshing, healing provision. So we can't rationalize or dismiss or excuse grumbling, complaining or disunity. We're called here to let go of all mistrust, all suspicion, all woundedness. It needs to be rooted out. That life together could be experienced in God-centered unity. One of my favorite books is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together and one of the things that he says in that book about Christian unity is that most Christians are either too idealistic or naive and we think that somehow or another that if we're committed to Christian unity we're never going to fail one another. (laughs) He said that idealism is broken when God's grace breaks through and reminds us that Christian community is the reminder that God is gracious and that God will forgive and that we can move towards one another when we disagree. Men have conflicts, John and Ken. Spiritual men work through those conflicts by the grace that has been anointed in the calling, but also by the reconciling power of the gospel, the word that comes up, the dew that comes up from Zion. True community is this reminder that we tell one another, God is for you, God is with you, I am with you, and together we will advance his mission. Just a few pastoral words to both of you. One, John and Ken remind us to abide in the vine to dwell together and remain in Christ. John 15 says that Christ is the vine and we're to abide in the vine. Anchor your heart in Him and remind each of us to anchor our hearts in Him. Zach Eswan in his book Sensing Jesus tells of his earthly ministry or he's talking about his early ministry life and uh, he said he had no concern for his health. He had no boundaries. The elders tried to talk with him. Uh, he wouldn't listen. His wife tried to talk with him. He thought he was called to pour himself out. His friends warned him that he was burning out, but his mother wrote him a letter, and it was one of these on a piece of paper written in ink. I don't know if I've ever seen one of these things called a letter, a handwritten letter, and his mother mailed it to him because she didn't think that he would listen to him. But at the end of the letter, he said this. His mother said, son, a tree has to have roots to provide shade. So not only anchor yourselves in him, brothers, remind us to anchor ourselves in him. And secondly, remind us to allow grace to grow gracious adaptability above the surface. We want to be a church that's rooted and grounded and anchored in his gospel, but we want to be adaptable. We want to be supportive. You know, we've all noticed that some people have drifted from the church, some people we haven't been able to speak to, Part of our commitment as pastors and our pastoral ministry is to go and find the sheep and to connect with the sheep and to love the sheep. Even as they drift and as this pandemic continues on, and we don't know if things are going to return to normal, God has sent both of you to us. So encouraging to me to think about that these elders of yours knew we need more pastors. And it's a big commitment for us to take on more pastors, but it's a huge blessing. It's something that God has called all of us as the people of God to take on together. You may need to ask God, is there more that you need to be giving financially because we have more work to do? You need to ask God as the priesthood of believers, What more do you need to do to support these men and their ministries? Because all of us are called together to lock arms, to be rooted and grounded, and to grow in love. Ken and John, let's live anchored in him as we celebrate God-centered unity. Let's be adaptable in grace. And may we, like David say, for in Zion, the Lord commands the blessing, life Forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, you have poured out your blessings in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You've come and filled our hearts with joy. And Lord, we want to be rooted in you and together. We also desire to be a reconciling body. Give us this gift, we pray, and for John and for Ken and for your elders, your session. Father, may we go after every sheep and also those that are not of this fold that you would use us to advance your mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.